Welcome to Pondcast. This podcast centers the topics that interest and the stories of Ponderosa Commons residents here on UBC campus, which is located on the unceded territory of the Musqueam people. I'll be your host today. My name is Camille Amir, and I'm a fifth-year BFA creative writing student who uses she, her, hers pronouns and works as a residence advisor here in Pond. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the land this episode is being recorded on. Today, I'm speaking from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded lands of the Lekwungen, Songhe, Esquimalt, and Wansainich people, and what colonial settlers later titled Victoria. I'm honored to learn about the ongoing relationships Indigenous communities have to this land. My guests today are speaking to me digitally from the Musqueam territory. As we're having our conversation today about mental health and the stigmas around it, I keep reminding myself of our limited capacity to enact change in our communities if we don't educate ourselves and stand in solidarity with Indigenous communities who are often failed by our mental health and other healthcare institutions. I would also like to enter the space with a trigger warning, so we will be talking about mental health. It is our intention here at Pondcast to actively be a safe space for people to share their experiences, and we're incredibly humbled to get an opportunity to hear your stories. In this episode, we'll be talking about mental health. What really is mental health, and what does it look like as a university student? We'll be talking to some wonderful campus organizations, as well as friends here in Ponderosa, to see what taking care of your mental health looks like, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. Without further ado, we will have our guests introduce themselves. Uh, my name is Raymond. Uh, I use he, him, his pronouns, and I am one of two counselors in residence. Uh, counselors in residence, just a, as a brief intro to, to who we are and what we do, um, we are professional mental health counselors. Uh, we're very, we offer similar, very similar services, and in fact, we're directly connected to counseling services on campus. However, our kind of overview is, is for students who currently live on campus and in campus housing uh, in residences. Um, and so we do a lot of one on one sessions with students um, and uh, we also do some programming every once in a while. I'm sure many of your listeners will likely have received some emails about various groups and workshops that we've run. Um, but that's us in a nutshell. Outside of work, um, I live I live in Vancouver and I enjoy being very physically active when I can um, and I also enjoy singing and that is me and I'll toss it over to Karen. Great, thanks, Raymond. Yeah, I am Karen. I am also one of the counselors in residence, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. Um, I was going to say I also like to be active and outside as much as I can as well. Um, I've been counselor at UBC for I guess almost three years now, and in, in residence uh, for about a year and a bit. So, yeah, really excited to be here on the podcast. Thank you both. Um, it's really nice to yeah be able to kind of share the space together and have some time to discuss. Um, I think a lot of the work you do and the work you do for students. Um, so let's launch into some questions. I'll start with the first question I've shared with you both previously is, what does mental health mean to you? I think that is a great question. What does mental health mean to us? When I when I think about that, it actually makes me think about like physical health and how you know we've been taught for so long how to take care of our physical health. Like we know we need to like exercise, eat well, sleep well, all those things. And when we don't feel good, we go see a doctor and it's pretty normalized. Whereas when we think of our mental health, it's it's not quite as normalized yet that that's something that we have to be on top of and think about. And so I, I think, you know, we all have mental health and it's at varying levels of wellness depending on what's going on. And it can be impacted by many things like positively and negatively, like our relationships with our friends, our family, um, our past, 
what's happening in the world currently. Um, our physical health can impact our mental health as well. Um, so all, all sorts of things, and even our biological makeup can impact our mental health. So it's, it's pretty extensive, but yet there's things that we can also do to help maintain it. So, you know, talking to other people, you know, connecting with others, um, mindfulness, um, kind of reflection, just all sorts of things that we can constantly be doing to consider our mental health. And then, of course, you know, if something happens, uh, an incident happens, we can, just like we would go see a doctor if we broke our arm, if something big happens, we can also go see a counselor. We can even go to an emergency room if we need to. And to kind of just normalize that, I think is really important when we think about mental health. And, and you can all think of times where like you're in really great physical shape and you're like, oh, I've been really working on like exercising or, or eating really well. And then something stressful happens and that kind of falls apart. The same thing happens with our mental health too. Sometimes we're really good, like meditating or I've been like going for walks and just really contemplative and then stress happens and that falls apart. So just an awareness that it's come down, but we do have it. I'll, I'll just jump in and say that it's, it's, it is very, very human thing, right? Um, and and just emphasizing kind of what Karen mentioned in terms of there is a connection to to things that we can do and and things that we can you know kind of put on our radars that that can help bolster our mental health to a certain, a certain extent. But and just kind of really emphasizing um, that connection between physical health and mental health as well. Like some of it's it's not just psychological. A lot of it can be, you know taking those walks um and being physically active and 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 um and getting a good night's sleep which is difficult in residence most nights i would say um and and just taking some relaxation time and you know eating nutrient-rich food whatever that means for you and, and and your body and kind of meeting those body needs that also significantly impacts mental health but as karen mentioned it's it's such a broad uh, we're intentionally probably not not defining it because it's such a broad definition and encompasses so many things to so many people. Yeah, and I think just really thinking about it in that same way, like, you know, we grew up having like checkups with the doctors, like having a mental health checkup is, is good too. And that that's something we can do and that we should do and normalize that, that it's, it's not a taboo or strange topic in that sense. So. And, and jumping in on that one too, is it, it, even in that same regard, not just like with our physical health, we do checkups, but we also, you know, how often do we tell people, oh, like I'm pretty tired today, right? Or, or like, oh, I just went for a run. Like actually starting to normalize and, and continuing to normalize for many of us, you know, a, the mental health side of things, like mentioning our emotions when it's on our mind, um, mentioning when things aren't on our mind, when we're having difficulties concentrating or focusing um, and, and normalizing a lot of that. And, you know, we could even clinical diagnoses, you know, you know, just mentioning, you know, I've been thinking a lot about my depression recently um, and, and checking in with just not just professionals, but the people around us, like exactly like we do with our physical health. Well, I think you guys are both bringing up just some really wonderful points. I, you know, I think it's very easy to compare physical health to mental health and also the institutions around that. Um, but I am really liking these points you're both drawing in about how these are also interrelated things and physical health is very important to your mental health. Um, but also that these are individual things. And this broad question we're asking is, you know, something we can broadly define, but when we want to get into the specifics of it, it's important to ask that as an individual to yourself. And sometimes I mean that from friends and healthcare professionals and, you know, even just yourself in the mirror or in your notebooks or wherever is a safe space for you. So thank you for sharing that. I do have one more point that I thought maybe I'd add to that too, just thinking of mental health that like 
the way we take care of our mental health is going to be very different often from each other too, depending on our previous experiences, our past, our all sorts of different things as well. So, you know, what might work for one person might not work for another person. So also not to just assume that, you know, it's just cut and dry. That's the same for everybody. So I think that's important to, to consider as well. Totally. That's such a great point. Yeah. Mental health is definitely not a, you know, all one size fits all. Um, so, so important to remind ourselves. To move on to our next question. So in your guys' experience, have you seen COVID-19 impact students' mental health? In, in, in short, yes, but it's interesting because it, we don't, over the past few months, you know, it's been in seven, eight months since since uh, the pandemic really came to everyone's awareness. Um, and and it's been since March that we've been seeing the impacts of it directly within the campus. But we don't, um, the, the, the kind of issues and concerns that students are coming in with to counseling specific for one-on-one counseling, at least, um, they actually have haven't really changed a whole heck of a lot. We, we typically see the same types of issues and concerns that come in this time of year. Uh, however, we have noticed that COVID-19 and the, and the pandemic have definitely um, been shading and typically exacerbating um, concerns. So if someone is coming in, um, you know, deal, dealing and managing anxiety, for example, um, COVID-19 is, is, is exacerbating that, is, is making their kind of symptoms um, more intense in many ways. Um, one of the big ones that we do typically see every year uh, in terms of concerns that pop up is, is loneliness um, and connections to friends. And, and I think it's probably no surprise to most people that that is actually very much um, um, intensified by, by COVID-19. Um, we're seeing a number of students who are, and again, this is actually fairly typical and regular to see most years and I can't emphasize that enough that students have difficulties making new friends people in general have difficulties making new friends and it's important to recognize that you're not alone if you're experiencing that um, but also we're all we're noting that a number of students um, are using counseling as as the space which most people do as, as the space to kind of debrief their experiences um, but for example, many of the students, especially in pandemic times, for we don't know what reason necessarily, but when they're connecting with with friends and with others in their lives, they're not necessarily actually sharing their honest experiences in terms of mental health or struggles or or or, or um, kind of things that they're having difficulty with. They're they're still very much. Uh, um, I'm okay. I'm doing fine um, on the outside, which which we do see for humans and adults in in general. But we do we have been finding that um, with the pandemic, um, people aren't really sharing as much with other people in their lives, and perhaps that's because it's a little bit more difficult when we're we're seeing you know geographical distances and digital conversations more so than actually in person conversations. But I mean, speaking of digital, we've noticed also just in general, students are having difficulties. Um, um, Managing the difference between their expectations versus the reality of online learning, um, the amount of screen time that they've, they've needed to kind of put in. Um, and, and often kind of because the structure isn't necessarily there, um, kind of, um, uh, it's, it's difficult basically for, for many people, for, for many of us to, to manage ourselves, our expectations and our schedules, uh, especially for students. It's so much more free now. And that just, it, 
it's important to recognize that it takes so much energy. And so it can be very draining I think, to, for students um, um, kind of being on screen all the time, but also just to navigate a schedule of online learning constantly. Um, Karen and I have often told students, you know, it's okay to get outside, even though you don't have as many, as much impetus, as much, you know, excuse. There might not be friends saying, hey, let's go do this, but like, just like get outside between classes or like instead of always arranging Zoom calls or being on, you know, online chats, like actually use your phone for what it's intended for and like give people just a legitimate audio call every once in a while might be something um, to, to switch things up. Um, but I guess yeah, just kind of the, the other thing that we've noted, and, and we kind of started talking about this at the very beginning, Karen and I, um, before before we started seeing students coming in with this, but is um, people are experiencing in general a, a very large sense of loss. Um, and it, for in the student context, for example, that's you know the loss of the ability to connect with other students as much the loss of the, the kind of traditional or typical or expected university experience or campus experience whatever that looks like um and and we do often put that into context for students because loss will will result in a number of different things or grief will result in a number of different symptoms you know mem mem memory difficulties attention difficulties um uh, decrease in energy and and so we actually expect a lot of those things, difficulties focusing. And again, we, we see that for people every year because we're adults and we can't focus and, and attend to things 100% all the time. But important to recognize that in the context of grief and loss, it actually makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. And, to remind, and we're often reminding students that it's, you know, this, this, is, this is not just a, a you, this one particular day thing. It's, it's a big global thing and it's okay. Um, but yeah, I guess that's, I hope that answers the question ish. <laughs> no, that was really wonderful. I, you know, it's so, I think, amazing to hear a little bit more in detail about your work. Because I think, as a student or, you know, myself as a student staff member, it's easy for us to speculate about what students might be experiencing. Sure, sure. Both are really diving into that and really seeing, like, kind of face in face reality. And I think, you know, a really great theme throughout what you're saying, Freeman, is just like really normalizing that we are all to a certain extent experiencing a lot of these things and mm -hmm. things that are happening with COVID are not necessarily unusual things, but like you said, they're exacerbating things that we're already experiencing as part of our kind of college student landscape or human landscape. Uh, and so I think, you know, the work you do is so important that we always, you know, thank you for the work you do and so <laughs> you give students. Thank um, you. Yeah. And, and and to yeah, to kind of reflect back on that, again, it's so important that we we as humans are and, and not everyone has the opportunity to do so, so recognizing that, but that we're we're taking opportunities to share our experiences with other people. It doesn't even have to be a professional counselor, but because there's this again, this feeling of loneliness that can come if we feel that we're the only people who experience these things. Totally escaping kind of the system of isolation almost means having to reach out and obviously the reaching out step is the hardest part for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think also with reaching out, it's like having to figure out how to adapt how we reach out because how we do that is changed because we're not in class where we can just sit next to somebody and start talking. Right. So, and that goes along with the loss piece is like when we lose things, we have to figure out how to adapt to what's around us now. And so figuring out how do we communicate with people? How do we 
do things differently to make sure that we don't slip into more loneliness and feelings mm-hmm. of isolation. So I think that that's something that we're seeing with students as well. And as everybody, like Raymond was saying, like all of us are going through this. Totally. I think it'll be, you know, very interesting one day to kind of reflect back on this. It's a shared collective experience. Um, and I think really emphasizing now that these collective experiences we have are a universal thing. And this isn't just a pandemic thing, but um, this pandemic may be shedding light on how normalized some of these things have been secretly kind of occurring for all of us. Definitely. Um, To move on to our next question, um, what are some signs perhaps that we could all look out for that someone we know is struggling with their mental health? Um, I think one of the first signs is if they're telling you that they're struggling. So sometimes people are actually saying things. It's tough or like, oh, I can't do this anymore. You know, really listening for those nuanced ways that people are demonstrating this task. And so then we ask, right? And I think sometimes we're afraid to ask. And, and But, you know, just checking in with people, I think, is really important. Um, another way is if you notice that their behavior changes. So let's say somebody is normally kind of out doing things, wanting to connect, all of those sorts of things. And then you notice they're starting to withdraw a lot and things are starting to be different. That could be a sign that maybe something isn't going so well for them. So again, something to ask, or it could be the opposite. Let's say they're normally pretty quiet or they just kind of do their thing and suddenly they're off spending crazy amounts of money or they're uh, drinking all the time and that's super out of character. So really, you know, looking at somebody's general character, what, what you know of them, and then is that really shifting in some sort of way? So that could also be a really a good sign. Um, one thing that Freeman and I were talking about, though, is like, you know, sometimes people might do something odd, but how do we know if that's really odd? And we have to cut, maybe that's not odd for them. And so getting in the context of like actually knowing somebody is helpful too. So asking questions, you know, is it normal that they, I don't know, don't wear shoes when they go out? And probably not, but you know, and so if you see something odd, sometimes it's good just to check in and ask. Of course, framing it in a way that is, you know, caring and and curious as opposed to kind of like what's going on um, is really important too. But I think just really having communication with people um, and, and yeah, normalizing that we check in with people again, I think it's really good. So yeah, I think those are some of those signs, just really checking in on the differences um, of normal behavior. When we were, when we were, Karen and I were talking about this earlier, we, I mentioned it's, it's not a direct, direct cor- correlation, but the, the, that concept of context is, as Karen was mentioning, so, so important uh, when we think about, okay, is someone struggling with mental health or are we struggling with mental health? Um, and I was reminded of a, a class that I took early on in my degree um, where the instructor kind of said, okay, here's, here's a psychology class. He said, here's, here's a case study. What, like, what, what is important? What do you think about this? So we have, we have an individual um, who is babbling incoherently, um, who is defecating in public with, with kind of no restraint um, and, and is stumbling around. What, what is possibly going on for that person? Of course, you know, the class said, okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe there's, there's some substance-related concerns. Maybe there, there is some, like in a lot of people said, maybe there's some mental health, like some legitimate mental health, because like it's obviously trying to teach us about stigma and stuff like that. And they said, well, what if I told you that this individual is one year old? 
and and the, and within that context, all of that makes sense. Of course, they're pooping their pants. Of course, they're not able to talk, right? Of course, they're not able to walk necessarily. I guess that's around the age when kids start to walk. But it just reminds our conversation around context that what is why it's so important that that we can't just look at things or people in particular in isolation. Um, and it, that's that's very important when we talk about mental health and people's mental health for sure. Which makes it equally more important to like talk and communicate and get to know people and and, and try to, to know a bit more about what's going on. Uh, another one too I was thinking of as well is like if you are finding your own mental health is struggling, that that you know there's likely other people who are feeling the same as well. So if you're finding you know, particularly around midterm time and all of those things, as things are really stressful, it's likely that other people are finding that too. And so being able to check in on each other. Um, so your, your own mental health can be a sign that perhaps somebody else is, is struggling too. Totally, that makes a lot of sense, I think, to so many great points both of you brought up. I really like this idea of normalizing that check-in. And I think Karen, you said this really nice thing about, you know, that check-in being done with compassion and curiosity um, and not being something that I think has to come across as abrasive or even just like clinical. Um, Sometimes we think of that check-in as being something that's impersonal, but we check in on each other all the time in casual ways. um, But how can that still be done more intentionally, but still digging into how someone's really doing? And that's also part of building relationship and undoing this loneliness and, and isolation that we're having too. Like if we're able to speak to each other in that way with compassion and and in a yeah, a compassionate curiosity with care, I think it, it makes a lot of difference too. And then it's not feeling like we're all catching somebody out with something. We're actually like, you know, maybe I'm going through something too, and I'm checking in with you because maybe you are, and then we're both going through it. Well, then we're normalizing it, and then we don't feel so strange about it. I think it's, yeah, it's really good to check in. Totally. And like you said, that diving into that context of understanding people's behaviors and doing those more casual context or casual check-ins allows you to start building your sense of context around someone for kind of later on in your relationship. If, you know, you need to provide support or someone's seeking out support, you know kind of what support looks like for them. So thank you for both for sharing some, yeah, some really good, I think, tangible things that people can kind of look out for. What is some, and I think Karen, you already started to allude to this a little bit, but what is some advice you might give to someone who is struggling with their own mental health? Yeah, we, um, well, it's important to recognize that one of the most natural inclinations um, when our mental health isn't, isn't doing so hot is to isolate, right? Is, is to kind of focus more on ourselves, which is, which is a, a natural thing. And in, in many senses that, that, is part of our brain by kind of saying, okay, let's 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 focus on ourselves, but in in a good intentional way. Maybe some self reflection, maybe on on you know, kind of the big three: sleep and eating and and physical activity. Um, but also kind of everything that we've been talking about in terms of this idea of connection being so important. Um, it, it's important to recognize that if if you are struggling with mental health and 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 your natural inclination is toward isolating, it's it is important to try to fight that a little bit. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean make yourself super uncomfortable if you're not, not someone who normally connects a, a whole lot with people. Um, but but actually trying to make those connections with people that, that you trust who, who are in your life, ideally, um, that you trust. And and important that that 
idea of connection isn't, again, it's not just like, I think a lot of people say, okay, I just need to be social. So I'm just going to go, you know, go be where people are at, or I'm going to go hang out with a friend and like watch TV together. Sometimes that is very useful, but often when mental health is a concern, it's important that you actually connect on that level where you are actually sharing a little bit, right? It doesn't have to be everything. You don't have to disclose hidden, deep, dark, mysterious pasts or whatever have you, but sharing about how you're currently doing. Again, that, you know, simple phrase of like, I'm actually feeling dot 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 whatever that feeling is can be super powerful uh, i mentioned earlier like not everyone has that opportunity though to necessarily um uh have connection uh again we, we, it's a very typical student experience not to feel that that you're making many friends or having deep connections with the friends that you're making necessarily and, and so it's important to recognize that the, their friends aren't your only resources your family isn't your only resource um certainly you can find some ways to express yourself again through through something creative outlets uh you know, music art uh, poetry um get some self-reflection in that way, get some perspective in that way. Um, certainly connecting with with a professional in some way, shape, or form. So counseling services, the UBC student assistance program, counselors and residents, a little plug for ourselves there. Um, uh, but then also, you know, it's, sometimes it's important to, again, with that reflection, stop and breathe. And it doesn't, we talk about a lot of, uh, we've heard, and I've, talk to a number of people who for whom like you know actual breathing activities don't necessarily fix things and it's true but it's important to just pause every once in a while to take stock of where things are at and and what might be a good direction going forward and sometimes as karen has mentioned and i've mentioned a few times already sometimes it means getting outside especially right now the power the power of just being outside fresh air even if it's raining um sunshine in particular can be great uh, for for mood related concerns um but even just saying i'm going to take that small step um, whether that small step is outside, whether that is saying, okay, this is feeling very overwhelming, what I need to deal with, you know, academics are so much, and just saying, let's, let's, let me take this one, one small step. I can't finish everything, but I can at least, you know, do one sentence on, on this paragraph, right? Um, that's something just to keep in mind. And, just, and then with, with all that being said, if you're feeling that you're struggling with your mental health, it's important, like we mentioned at the very beginning, like mental health, just like physical health, is is not 100% awesome all the time. Um, and it's important to recognize that, that that's normal to have ups and downs. We see the ups and downs as being human. Uh, for some people, those those downs or those ups can be certainly considered to some clinical concerns. That, that being said, it is quite human to have ups and downs with their mental health. And, and that's often an opportunity to, again, check in with those big three, sleeping, eating, physical activity, where are those at? Um, and, and yeah, of course, certainly something people can always do, as I mentioned, is, is reach out to a professional, you know, counselors on campus. That being said, it might be someone else in terms of a resource, um, in maybe learning commons or advisors or a career specialist, depending on the context of things. It can also be peer supports, you know, such as your RA, for example, in your residence building, AMS peer support, um, wellness peers in the wellness center online. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of things. In summary, there's a lot of things that people can do. And as Karen alluded to at the very beginning, it's, it's very individual. Uh, you do know yourself and, you know, you can listen to me talk all you want. But at the end of the day, you might know what's best for you. Right? Sometimes we might need a little perspective from other people, uh, but it is very unique. You know, everybody is unique. 
Absolutely. I think those are some very tangible and like a lot of varied ways I think people can be seeking out support. And I, you know, I think I really appreciate that emphasis that different things are going to work for different people. Um, and that, you know, I think often in that theme of isolation, it's very easy to say, we'll just connect with someone and really like Freeman that you brought in. That's just not really possible for everybody. Um, college can be a very isolating experience for a lot of people. And there's still ways that you can connect either with, with yourself or with some form of expression, um, seek professional support. Um, there's always someone or something that is giving you space to be able to communicate if you're able to seek it out. So that's really wonderful. So let's head on to our final question. Um, we have kind of our biggest question here, I think. Um, <laughs> going from micro to... We'll prepare ourselves accordingly. <laughs> um, so I'll ask this in kind of it's We have like a three-part question. I'll ask it in like first, second, and third part. Um, and, you know, if we overlap on some of these, we you know, might skip one of the parts. It's totally okay. Um, yeah, so our last question being, what are some maybe sociological, financial, racial, or just any other barriers um, towards equitable treatment for mental health that you guys may recognize or more often talk about? I think, I think we, might, we might dig into to some other areas of the, of the question as well. Um, when you ask about, it's interesting because we were talking about this in terms of what, what are barriers to uh, receiving care and, and, and equitable kind of treatment. Um, it's interesting because I think that's only part, part of, of the concerns globally, um, globally and locally. It's important to recognize that we see a lot of things uh, around systemic discrimination, for example, um, and we can, it's very easy to attribute it to someone else or a different country or whatever have you, but, but it, it's a very real thing that many individuals experience no matter where they're at and what their life experiences are. Um, but it, when we're talking about equitable, equitable treatment, it, it, the question kind of aligns itself with, okay, what, what, what do, professionals do or what can health professionals do or, or supporters do to to kind of help with that um and i mean the big thing just just like for anybody to me is it's it's about awareness and education and on, on the professional side a lot of that is edu education uh, educating ourselves um not just around mental health and and all, all its varying um varying aspects, but around all the, you know, sociological realities of, of systemic discrimination, of what, what are the barriers? Why might people, you know, feel uh, othered in some way, shape, or form? Um, and, and, and it's important to recognize that most health professions, not just counseling or psychology, um, but most health professions have um, expectations um, of of the professionals within that body to to um, educate themselves. Um, counseling services on campus is actually a fantastic um, e example. Karen and I literally just came out of a, a two-hour discussion. We we have a monthly, uh, roughly monthly uh, meeting around. The, what the campus calls inclusive excellence, but it's essentially talking about challenging ourselves on what our expectations are on, on our biases, both both on the professional level in terms of what people are coming in with, but also on, on the personal level in terms of, you know, what, what are our own internal biases? What are our thoughts? Where do we need to be educated more? Um, how, to, how to be appropriate um, as an ally? Do we even call ourselves allies? So important to recognize that that work does happen. Um, does it does it impact every professional in the same way? Not necessarily. Um, do people who come in to seek support ex experience, you know, um, 
a wonderful time every time? I mean, the answer is no, and it's crappy, frankly, um, to to have to say that. Um, I think important just on campus wise, important to recognize that, like for example, counseling services, like and and us um, councils and residents, we actually do see we actually see higher percentage number of students and uh, who are members of historically equity seeking groups, um, which which yeah, which is a bit of a, of a um, surprising thing to most people because I think when we talk about barriers, people are assuming that we're not necessarily seeing um, as as many students that we were uh, uh, um, in those groups. Perhaps we're seeing you know mostly just you know uh, cis straight white. Um, well, if we if we went by the, by by the non-equity seeking groups, it would be cis straight white men, and I will tell you we typically see a few more female than than male students. Um, that being said, I think it's also important, kind of flip side, I think some of your questions are asking about what are some of the, the barriers for reaching out. And you actually mentioned them yourself. You know, we, we certainly have um, cultural background, kind of family barriers that, that will um, basically equate to stigma. Right, in terms of where someone has come from, what someone has um, been educated on or, or not, what privilege uh, they have been afforded in terms of that education um, around what mental health is, around what a counselor is, for example. Um, and, and a lot of those can just create natural barriers. And they're all very, very unique, very individual, of course, what barriers people are facing and important to recognize that. Um, but we see a, a lot of, of that in terms of the students coming in, for example, for the first time saying, this is like this is scary for me because I've never I've never thought about reaching this out, out before, um, and it's taken me like years of building up the courage to do this because of my background, because of my culture, because of my family, because because of because 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 or because I heard this about I heard this rumor, I heard this uh, thing about counselors or therapists, and I and I wasn't sure, but I decided to kind of reach out. Um, so there's certainly barriers there, and I'd say the other bigger big one that we do say that you ought to mention as well is is money, um, in particular when people are thinking about longer term supports or longer term regular supports, it often comes up, well, I can't afford that. Um, and Karen and I were talking about this earlier, it, it's money ideally shouldn't be a barrier, it is to some, uh, but it's important to recognize that there are many supports out there. So while you're on campus, certainly there's, there's, there's at least some, you know, um, not necessarily long-term regular supports uh, depending on the circumstances, but there is cer certainly um, um, some shorter-term supports available in terms of counseling services, but we can also help you connect with longer-term supports based on your financial you know, realities. And, and important to recognize that there actually are a number of either low-cost or free counseling psychology services available, and often people actually avoid those because they think that maybe they're not as good because they're free but actually our experience has been generally those they're either um just just as great or if not sometimes better depending on the circumstance depending on what people are looking for um but yeah i'd say that those are some pretty big big barriers um i mean yeah the the, the big thing is again stig stigma can't exist in an environment where where we are sharing, and I guess that's probably the big theme of what we've been talking about today. But, but if people are sharing experiences, again, it doesn't have to be one hundred percent of all our experiences. But if people are sharing the realities of what's going on for them, and they're being treated to and, and listened to in a in an honest and respectful way, 
stigma can exist and and stigma like that's what basically what we're, we're looking at across all of these different barriers is basically a different form of stigma um and impo- so important to recognize that that sharing is 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 going to dismantle that um and if you're on the other end where someone's someone's hearing someone's sharing with you something um about their personal mental health or about their views on mental health or things like that sometimes it's like how how do i manage that how do i how do i listen to that and it's important to recognize that it can be it can be difficult hearing people's experiences um and everyone's experience is unique so of course we can't connect with the experience but emotions are universal i can always you might not be able to 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 fully grasp the depth or the intensity of specific emotions but but you're human and and we can we can always connect on on the emotional level at least so just some things to think about. It kind of went on a lot of tangents there. No, that's, I mean, this was a really great response. I mean, I think, Freeman, you kind of started to tackle all three of these questions. So that's, that's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, because it's hard, it's hard to tackle one without the other, right? Yeah. You have questions around barriers, but you also have questions around what, what you know, there's some stigma of what we can do. Like, you can't talk about barriers and just leave it there without talking about how to possibly dismantle them. And we all have work to do. We, we do. Right. And it's important, again, it's not just on the professional side, it's on the personal side for professionals, but also for you know, the campus community, for example. I was going to say, too, like, I think it's really important, um, you know, in, in our position and anybody who's in a position of receiving, um, anybody who's coming to look for support, that to recognize that, you know, this might not be their first time reaching out for support and perhaps they've had experiences that weren't so positive and and so it, we know that it is always very, there's a risk involved in somebody reaching out. And so being able to have that awareness that previous experience may not have been very supportive or good. And so having more of an understanding and again, going back to that place of being um, curious and, and compassionate and kind in the way we respond, uh, kind of leading with that as well is, is, is really important when we are providing services. Uh, and then also just also wanting to acknowledge for all students, I know it's not easy to reach out. Like it's just hard, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a scary thing to do. And, and so really like we get that and um, yeah, we're working hard to be able to help make it better in any way that we can. Totally. And it's been, I think in this question, very interesting to hear a little bit more about both of your work, especially in the CBC context about the work you do and the resources you kind of have alluded to in this environment that I think you know, a lot of us mainly might hear things more about like uh, like UBC counseling, but so it's nice to hear a little bit more about the resources like you guys can help connect people to. Um, and that, for example, in some of these barriers that you know and recognize these barriers and can help connect people to um, finding someone or something that can help support them no matter what maybe stigmas they might be working within. Um, so I think Karen, you had asked earlier if they're maybe repeating some of these questions. Um, also, I'll repeat them in case there's anything you wanted to add on. Um, so, I mean, the first one being about barriers towards equitable treatment. Um, the next one about being uh, groups that are underserved. And I think, you know, Freeman kind of interestingly pointing out that on campus that we're actually, you know, seeing a lot of support being sought out by students who are part of um groups we might assume are not actually underserved. Um, and then what are some actions we can do to make I think even in, in terms of supporting each other in reaching out for services. And so, again, normalizing that this is an okay thing to do when you find a service that you feel is good, 
to let other people know about it if you've had a good experience you know to to share that with others as well and um it's okay to like go alongside with somebody you know if somebody's afraid to reach out and make a phone call you know do it with them <clears throat> support them in that way too so kind of helping to reduce that as a barrier this kind of fear of the unknown i think is is a helpful thing that we can tangibly do for each other uh, on that note too like if you if you're receiving services whether it's ebc or counseling or other professionals or, or whatever have you if you're receiving services from someone and and you're you're experiencing something that is like making things worse for example within that session or or you're experiencing something where you're like wow this person is not educated on this um number one it's important to recognize that it's it's not it's realistically not your responsibility to do the education as the person who's who's receiving the service at the same time though it's important to recognize that it's it's okay to give feedback um and whether you're comfortable to do that in the moment or after uh whether that's directly to the person or to kind of like you know a general kind of line or or, or a supervisor if you happen to know it just to give the feedback because um that's that's the only way we grow as humans in general is getting getting feedback and certainly in the professional and like again we don't assume that things are great but it's hard it's hard for us and we'll try to check it ideally professionals will check in on some of these things throughout but at the same time we might not be checking in on the right things right um and so and so being okay to give feedback like we're we're human we make mistakes and um and yes, it might feel a little awkward, but but it can be very important, and you never know what 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 difference that can make going forward. Well, I think the power of feedback to just check in with an individual and not to call them out, but just calling them in and really making them realize, you know, individual actions do have impacts on people that they might not necessarily understand. Um, I think as a student, I too understand like sometimes it can be really difficult giving feedback to someone who you feel might have more authority on something than you too. Um, so I think it's really nice hearing for both of you about, you know, feedback is welcome. Um, and that if anything, we should be giving feedback more to people who we think might have authority over us. Um, those are the people who often have the ability to shape or make change. Um, and it's okay to ask them to make those changes, especially when we're talking about systems of care. And I, I will, I will say on that on that note, and this is more a personal thing, but <laughs> it is it is much pre more preferable to to for for anyone to be giving feedback either again directly to the individual or to to the system itself than simply giving the feedback to Reddit, for example. Right. Um, and I find that out because it, like uh, you know that's often a great place for people to vent for sure. Um, but the, the people who matter, the people who, who need to enact change based on that feedback, aren't reading your posts. Right? Um, so, so, so if you're looking for change, it's important to actually provide that information and feedback to people who potentially have the opportunity to make that change. Well, that's a great point. Like the anonymous services of Reddit can make it very easy to be a space that is also just not productive in terms of also letting out your emotional energy um, just to kind of avoid. Yeah, that place of authority too. And so I think that could be a barrier for people coming to seek counseling if they see us as being in positions of authority and and to know that we, we, we understand that that's something that people can come in with and we really you know, work hard to 
let people know that like you are the best knowledge of yourself and that we want to work with you to help you figure out where to go from there and not tell you this, this, and this is what you need to do. This is your problem. This is what's like, you know, that's not our intention and that's not where we want to be coming from. And so really trying to um, also acknowledge though that we do understand that people do come thinking that that might be how we are going to work with them. Um, and some people might want us to tell them this is the best way to go and, and might be disappointed when we're not able to, to do that. And, and so it's, 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 yeah, a complex place, this position of authority. Totally. I think, yeah, considering the flip side of things, I, even myself, like kind of finding myself, well, like actually that makes sense. Like understanding what my expectations might be entering the space and realizing that in your role, that's not really your spot to necessarily always tell someone what to do. Um, even if that might be what you're, kind of hoping for um, especially I think in terms of your health sometimes not knowing what to do and hoping that someone will kind of hold your hand and um, tell you exactly what to do and sadly that isn't exactly a black and white thing so that's a really helpful thing I think for many of us to be considering and thinking about I, well I wanted to give you both room if, especially in this last question um, but even if any of the other questions while we were talking if there were anything that you were thinking of um, that you felt like didn't really come up and you wanted to, you know, last words, essentially. I can always talk more. <laughs> as, as, as counselors, our job is typically to listen. And so it's like, if we're given the opportunity to talk, we can always talk for sure. Yeah. I think it's just, yeah, men mental health is a, is a, we know it's an important topic and it's, it's not that this is a new thing to be like, Oh, let's talk about mental health for the first time. And so I think it's more to recognize like people are thinking about it. People are talking about it. Um, there's a spectrum of, it's not even just a spectrum, just like a linear spectrum is like a whole sphere of, of people's awareness experiences and, and, and um, just general knowledge about what mental health is and how it impacts us and, and, and how other aspects of our lives and, and other parts of our identity can intersect with mental health. And, um, and I think it, it's just important to recognize for any topic, whether it's mental health, whether it's um, intersectionality, whether it's uh, you know discrimination, whatever have you, to that it's important to recognize that no one is going to be where you are at in that sphere of knowledge and experience. Um, it, and just like we've been emphasizing, you are unique in your experiences, and you know, you you know yourself typically, ideally, best. Um, but it's also important to recognize that that you can't put your own experiences on other people. And sometimes it gets really frustrating when we're having these discussions with people who are like, oh, I wish you were like farther along on this scale or further back on this scale um, in terms of knowledge or awareness or mental health. Or I wish you could really get where I'm coming from. Um, and, and it's important to recognize that not everyone will all the time. And we say connect with people and you might try to connect with someone and man, that does not go well, right? Um, and that's shitty, frankly, that, that happens sometimes. Um, that, but that also gives you more insight in terms of your relationship with those people and can give you a little bit more information about where you want to go with that. Anyway, I'm kind of broad. It's not necessarily a final thought, but a broad aspect of, of just when we're talking about these things. Like, you're not, you're not alone, but also don't try not to let the frustrations build up too much when when other people are, are not necessarily where you'd like them to be and I think too just in talking about like resources and ways of, of getting support around mental health that 
you know, that we've been talking a lot about like coming to see a counselor or talking to your friends, but there's also a lot of self-directed things that you can do as well. There's loads of books out there that you can read. Uh, UBC has access to something called TAO, which is therapy assisted online. And that's like a, a self-directed um, online program that can help you with things like anxiety, uh, depression, pain management, all sorts of things as well. So if you're curious about that, you can certainly ask us or any of the wellness advisors to that are on campus. So there's lots of different ways of seeking out support for your own mental health. And so it doesn't always have to be about involving somebody else. Um, and, and also to say that like, sometimes people don't come because they think their issues are too small or you know it's not a big enough deal or something. And so really, again, not to like judge yourself on that, that like sometimes when we catch things early, that's great, just like with physical health, right? <clears throat> sometimes we can catch a problem early and, and take care of it before it snowballs into something really big. So just to, to not hesitate if you are thinking about reaching out. I'm going to add one little bit in there. I know we're coming close to time here, but, um, but on, on that note, in terms of what Karen said, yeah, come in, seek out support, even if you're not sure, for sure. Um, we'll, let you, we'll let you know if there's, there's kind of different or more appropriate resources. But we, just as examples, like, yes, we deal with, we, deal with, we work with students who are, who are managing various forms of anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, even personality disorders, stuff like that. But we also, you know, we talk with students who are going through a breakup. Right? Uh, someone who has uh, not even necessarily a safety concern, but just a question about life that's just like, you know, is this normal to be thinking about this? Um, we, we, we work with people who, um, with students who are just like needing to debrief something um, that happened like last week between a few friends and being like, I don't know how to think about this, but like, I just need a place that, and my, my friends were involved. So I just need an external person. Like it, it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be big for sure. Um, and again, we might say at some point, okay, like, this is, I'm glad that we're talking for sure. I'm glad we came in. And there, there are also some other resources that you might not be aware of that might be useful for this as well. But also like it's, it's never, ever, it's never a waste of our time for students to come in. I can say that. Totally. I think those are, you know, such great final thoughts. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. It's been good. That's fun. I'm glad. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining us on Pondcast today. Let us know, Ponderosa, what are you pondering today? This podcast was produced by me, Camila Mir, and our wonderful editors, Jamie Coates and Ivana Zhikovic. This podcast would also not be made possible without the support of our coworker, Sarah Parks, and our supervisor, the Residence Life Manager of Ponderosa Commons, Lyndon Duncan. See you later.